Okay, why don't we get started here and we'll... Uh, see what we can get done this morning. <clears throat> Let's pray and then uh, we'll have a couple of opening uh, comments and then turn it over to Mike and Mary this morning. Steve? Yes, sir. Uh, I need a special prayer request. I'm right. having a, what they call a PET scan right. done on Wednesday. Okay. And, uh, I hope everything is okay, but, you know, you never right. know. You don't know, that's why you do it. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's pray and then we'll start here. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. <clears throat> thank you for your love and mercy to us, for the opportunity to worship you today. We uh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about these covenant children and how we can better minister to them and parent them <clears throat> as parents and grandparents. To pray for Mike and Mary today that you would quicken their minds and their thoughts, help them to express what they prepared and to be efficient effective in what they do, and may they cover the material that they would like to be able to present. Pray for Bill Christie today, as he anticipates this PET scan on Wednesday, we pray if it be your will that he would have uh, good results, that there would be uh, no acute abnormal findings, and we pray that you would uh, quiet his heart, may he put his trust and confidence in you for that as well. Thank you that we can commit all this to you today, in Jesus' name. Um, we've gotten kind of jerked around a little bit on our schedule so I just kind of wanted to remind you where we are and what we anticipate doing um, according to my notes the Koreskos will be next week is that what y'all got? Yep. so uh, bring your social media questions that week for the two experts on that um, all about Facebook, Twitter and everything in between and then uh, Bob Macy would be on the uh, 15th. Sound good? Okay. He's still waving at me. And then there will be a grandparenting panel on the 22nd, and then I'll finish it up on the last Sunday of the 29th. So we've appreciated all your uh, attendance and your participation, and uh, <clears throat> we'll see if we can finish it up here strong here this last month. Uh, Mike, and Mike, Mike and Mary have a handout floating around here, make sure you've got one of those before we start. There's some on the end of the table here. And uh, I would encourage you to keep those. And uh, the ones that you've received so far uh, during this little class, and uh, take them with your spouse, you and your spouse when you go out to eat or when you do something, and you all talk about the things that uh, have been brought up in here, and maybe it will help you as you try to strategize for your children and what you want to try to accomplish with them. Now, one of the most important uh, challenging areas of development for children is that of relationships. And uh, as these children grow older in their chronological age, they change from playing uh, around others to playing with others to starting to have... Uh, friendships and a connection with others on a various different levels. And as they get into their preteen, teen, high school, and college years, a lot of this has to do with their uh, sexuality, who they are, and also 
uh, the pressure of the, the, the culture that we're in, which is definitely post-Christian. All these factors bear in on what, um, how these children relate to each other and what they do. Now, over at Lakeland Christian, Mike and Mary have been involved in a strategic initiative to try to address these middle school and high school students in the area of relationships over the past five years. <clears throat> I've heard them talk about this off and on over the last five years as they have um, had classes and meet with these students. And uh, I was talking to them about trying to take some of this material and orient, orient it towards the parents and how, how uh, we can be thinking about these matters from our point of view. So I've asked them to uh, share some of what they've learned in this process that can be of assistance to parents and grandparents to equip, to equip us to uh, be of help to our children. So with that, they're on. Let's uh, start with the passage that uh, grabbed our attention in the beginning of this process. Um, Matthew 22, um, verse 34. It's a very familiar, some very familiar verses uh, <clears throat> to all of us, I'm sure. The Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So love God and uh, love your neighbor and uh, as yourself. So we uh, looked over our... Uh, student body, and we uh, were troubled by the pattern that we thought we felt we saw there was that um, students were not loving uh, themselves well, they weren't loving the Lord as well as we had hoped, and they weren't loving each other very well. So it's a negative trifecta there. Um, and we um, try to figure out how to address that a little more strategically. Now, <clears throat> uh, our context is of middle school and high school children from the, the broad uh, Christian community in the greater Lakeland, uh, Plant City, Winter Haven area, okay? So we have 185 churches represented in the school and so uh, what our experience is, is in this whole broad uh, Christian world, okay? So um, <clears throat> with varying degrees of um, worship experience, with, with a variety of, uh, of priorities and focus in their various churches, with variety of commitment to participating in various churches, um, we've got some alums here that could confirm on that. Um, so, but it, it's it's a bunch of folks that would 
uh, claim to be Christians and would claim to be concerned about what Scripture teaches about these areas, and yet sometime, somehow it was breaking down uh, in the, in the uh, application in life, at least from what uh, we, could, we could tell. So <clears throat> we were sitting in a Bible department meeting one year at the end of the year, and, and some of the teachers were saying, okay, we've been talking about this um, for a couple of years, and we keep tweaking our standard curriculum, and we're not, we're not getting what we hope. Um, and we need to make some changes. So <clears throat> to add something to what we're doing. So about five years ago, uh, we discussed this disconnect between our, our standard Bible curriculum course of study and application in student life. So you have this uh, Bible, you have uh, Bible survey courses, Old Testament, New Testament, church history, Bible study methods, apologetics, all these things, but we weren't uh, scratching where they were itching in this particular segment of life, of their relationships with one another. Um, particularly in the area of uh, opposite sex relationships. So <clears throat> we determined we need to take a more focused approach about all this and, uh, and try to have some of our time devoted to uh, specifically the issue of relationships. So we're hunting with a rifle on that topic more than just shooting the shotgun out there with all the biblical truth and hoping they connect the dots. So we didn't feel like the dots were being connected. So we wanted to try to be a little more intentional about that. <clears throat> so trying to help them apply the principles of Scripture <clears throat> to real-life situations, including their approach to relationships with the opposite sex. And one of these uh, concerns that emerged very early is that we had to be concerned and intentional about the process of instruction and not just the content. And... Um, that could be very challenging for some of us who tend to be very content-driven. Some of us are very um, um, cognitive and very uh, content-driven. I would dare to say that uh, Reformed churches tend to attract people who are more that way than some other churches. Um, so it's a particularly a challenging thing, I think, for people... Um, in our uh, bailiwick. Um, so you're having to think more about uh, the affective domain, the, the emotion, the feeling piece of it, uh, and the emotional side of the learning, not just the cognitive, um, factual, principial, doctrinal side of the thing, uh, to, to deal with the culture's influence. If you go to the mall and you um, walk down the mall, and you see, and you are alert to how it tries to shape your worldview and your values. There's no clock in the mall. They don't want you to know how long you've been in there. Um, there's um, emotive generating images in store windows. So if you go to the places that are most geared to sell to teens and preteens, <clears throat> they're trying to create a certain aura, a certain feeling. There's no rational cognitive appeal going on there. There's certainly no price displayed, unless there's a big sale. But um, it's all emotional, it's all effective, and it's very, very powerful. If I could look like that, if I could be like that, if I bought this, I would be like that. I would have that life, you know... <clears throat> 
So um, it's, it's very powerful uh, emotively and effectively. Our approach has two components in what we what our strategy is currently. Um, we have <coughs> housed this within our Bible department. Uh, we separate uh, students by gender, by sex, male and female. Um, three weeks in some grade levels up to eight weeks in other grade levels with age-appropriate content um, and they are appropriate for whatever grade level we're talking about in grades 7 through 12. Then the, the capstone of it is a senior seminar which is two days off campus in late April, early May and that whole focus is on what do you, what's it going to look like when you get to college? What's the sexual temptation going to be like? What's the pressure going to be like? Cover a variety of topics with that based on um, input we get from our recent alumni. We have some of them come back and talk or send us information to use in that seminar so that we get what's going on on the campus. You know, last month, I could really get them ready for the campus of 1967, but there's not much market for that. <laughs> so um, we try to utilize people that are really there. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> we have a young man in our Bible department now that spent the last two years in campus ministry at Florida State. So he's pretty uh, hot off the scene and, and really has some useful insight for the kids. We don't have this down. We're learning about how to do this every year. There's no silver bullet. You load this baby and shoot it and everything's fine. Uh, that's, that's not the deal. Um, we've learned a few things about this and we've learned some things from our students. And uh, that senior seminar, you know, trying to get them ready for, they've done everything in there. If they have a, a segment of that for uh, our girls on uh, self-defense with a local uh, karate studio, you know, or self-defense, comes in there and spends about 50 minutes with them. Because that's important. All you got to do is Time Magazine, big cover story, you know, a couple weeks ago on rape on the college campus. So we're trying to be practical as well as principial in what we're doing. So Mary's coordinated this program, and uh, we're going to let her share some of the things that she's seen and learned and we'll work from there. <coughs> Okay, raise your hand if you can hear me. Okay, when I'm talking, if you can't hear me, now raise your hand and I'll know that I'll need to speak louder. Um, Mike and I have worked on this list of parental considerations. The things that as we in the process have taught these classes that we have either heard directly from the students or been able to infer from their conversations with one another. One of the things that um, is very surprising to us is that with young people, even including, I teach the junior and senior girls also when we gender separate them, is that if the students do not see you looking at them, you can be two or, feet, two or three feet away and they still don't think you can hear them. And so part of where we glean this is from conversations that they are having in our presence, but they don't think that we are hearing. And those of you that have children um, and you drive them around, the beauty of that translates to when you're driving and they're having conversations, they think you can't hear them. And you can learn. If, if you will refrain from correcting 
for interjecting something, you can learn a lot. Silence <laughs> is difficult, but you can learn a lot. And so some of what we have learned, some of what you see here are the things that we have observed, but also that we have heard them say. Um, kids often feel alone and confused, even in the midst of their peers, even in the midst of their friends. And as they get older, they feel as if not just that the only help available is from their peers, but they want to portray that those are the only ones that they are listening to. But still, the parents are the most influential relationship educators. That, as I think Steve pointed out and Mike did several weeks ago, that is true in Christian homes. That is also true in non-Christian homes. Even secular family counselors tell the parents they act as if they don't want to hear from you. They uh, roll their eyes. Their body language communicates rejection, but you just keep right on loving and instructing. Oftentimes, though, the manner in which you do it is what earns you a hearing. And um, so, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. Um, that really is D, but before I get to D, when it comes to dealing with the issues of sexuality, if you have a long-running, ongoing conversation as your model, rather than the talk, that is what is most effective. Now, those of you young people who are sitting here, you are very blessed and fortunate that your parents uh, probably heard that more than some of us who are older, and the parents had the talk about 10 or 11 years of age, and then you're good to go. But if you have it in terms of, if you have the idea in terms of, maybe the subject will come up here, maybe it won't, but if you have it in, in, in the idea of a dialogue, then it is much more successful because um, then you can adjust your tone and your methods that can enhance the conversation. Sometimes, especially those of us that can be very content-driven, we know what we want to tell them, and we, the sooner we get it across, the safer they'll be. No, not necessarily. Um, and sometimes that is what can undermine it is we feel better that we have already told everything we need to tell, so done that, good to go. And that often can uh, and undermine what we're trying to do. And one of the ways um, that we have found that is effective in the classroom, perhaps it'll be helpful to you, is that if we are to ask open-ended questions um, and then listen to what they say, even if what they say is not what you were hoping to hear. And I'll give you an example. If I were to say, and we don't have class time to do it, but... Um, if I were to say to all of you, in, for three minutes, I want you to write down what you think are the five most important things that need to be communicated to your 12-year-old or your 13-year-old. I bet that our lists would be very similar. And honestly, when we first started our first relationship education classes back in... Um, 2010, 
if we had said, okay, let's save some time here. What do you think are the five things we want you to know? And they would have written them down and they would have repeated them to us and we'd say, okay, you're good to go. No. Because, it, and, and when we ask that, some of the things that we get back, you have to have some control. Your facial expression can't, can't reflect the shock of, are you kidding? Have you been in this church that long? But that is, you know, take the conversation, the Socratic method, take the conversation and guide it rather than, you know, kill the gnat with a bazooka. <laughs> and the other, now, is it not the most, fr the thing that is more frustrating than wrong answers is shut down and no communication, right? Isn't that what frustrates you the most? Go with it. Go with it. Sometimes they are not ready to talk, and if they're not ready to talk and you are patient and you don't, come on, now can you just, you know, at least answer my question. If you are patient, then that tells them I don't feel forced to talk, and so then later they will be willing. I'll give you an example. The first year that we did the relationship ed, one mom was reluctant to tell me, yeah, my child got in the car and yesterday, and I said, because, you know, she was very into it. She said, got in the car, and I said, so, how did you like your first day of your relationship ed classes? And the child said, and she said, my child said, it stinks. And she said, I, I just have to tell you, and I said, that is great. That is a wonderful conversation starter. Hooray. You might want to say, what about it? What is it that you don't like about it? If she answers, fine. If she doesn't, just wait. That's a great conversation starter. And if she's not ready to talk, just wait. Maybe a few days later. So does it still stink? What is the part, you know, so anyway, uh, the, but the patience is hard, isn't it? Because we draw all kinds of conclusions from their silence. Now, one of the things that I put on G here, and um, it is one of the things that I hear many parents say to me about why they, quote unquote, are hoping that we will do the job in school because they feel disqualified is, um, as parents, if we ourselves have made past mistakes, that does not disqualify us from talking with our children. Um, if we fear that our own mistakes will taint our dialogue with hypocrisy, I'm going to quote Shelley Donahue. She wrote the curriculum that we kind of blitzed the campus with the first year, um, weight training, why am I tempted training? And she would tell the parents in a video to the parents, I believe that we showed to them the first year, you did what you knew and now you know differently. Go and do differently and it is hypocrisy only if we parents are preaching something that we're not doing. And one of the resources, and you'll get to this later, that's by Stan and Brenda Jones, How and When to Tell Your Kids About Sex, um, they have a great um, treatment of that in there, of giving help and encouragement to parents who um, are still so wrestling with some of their, their own struggles that they feel as if, they just, they can't go there with their children. Now, particularly today, because I know our audience, I want to talk about what this might look like with your young children. With, um, I'm, I'm guessing, probably middle elementary and below. And um, the two principles that I'll talk about, and then I'm going to give you an example, is um, 
See, when we were on this senior retreat this last week in, in Washington State, I had um, Jeff Stabler, who's head of our Bible department. He has four children, third grade and below. And um, Jeff has been part of our relationship education department, our, our relationship education since day one. He's head of the Bible department. Any ideas that I have have to go through him, and he's very wise in um, shutting down some of my crazy ideas but incorporating others. Jeff's main mantra is we need to protect the latency of our children. We need to be careful what we're doing in 8th and ninth grade, that we are not um, including material that will incite them to things that they had never thought about. So we need to be careful. He, al he always is on that part of the decision-making process. And I tell you that because when uh, we had the opportunity to share many meals together and I said, Jeff, what can I say to parents who are in your same situation about guiding their children about relationships even from an early age? And Jeff's first point was, he said, I think one thing that is very important is that conversations should come earlier than you might prefer because that puts you as parents in charge of the information. You need to recognize that you are in more control of your child's healthy relationship formation if you are ahead of their outside influences. And I was very impressed with that answer because I know that Jeff's preference would be to not even begin to think about talking to his children until they get into middle school. And, um, and he said, but the way to do it is to use more suitable language that protects their latency. So he went on and he went on to tell me what he did with his son Jeremiah, who's in third grade just recently. Um, he, was, he wanted a special day, they went to Legoland, just he and Jeremiah. And so when they were in the car on what, you know, these kids are going to figure this out. You have a special thing planned, look out. Mom and Dad have to do Well, anyway, as they were driving to Legoland, he said, um, Son, has anyone in your class talked about sex? And um, Jeremiah said, No. And he said, Son, do you know what that is all about? No. And Jeff said, it's about bonding. It's about relationships where you're going to bond with that person and you want it to be in a way <clears throat> that is <clears throat> pleasing to God. And if you do it in that way, <clears throat> then it will bring you the longest happiness and health. That's what that is about. So if you hear that, and oftentimes you will hear that not portrayed in the way that God wants it portrayed, but if you will keep in mind that God has intended for that whole topic to be about the relationship between a husband and wife and how you can get there in a way that pleases God and is good for you. <clears throat> um, and then he asked, has anyone in your class talked about having a boyfriend or girlfriend? Yeah. Five, four or five girls say that they have a boyfriend, but you know that's really strange 
Because if you talk to those boys, they say, are you kidding me? I hate those girls. <laughs> so, you, know, you already have a child who is processing and discerning. Then he said he felt the need to ask. He didn't want to, but he felt the need to ask. Has anyone in your class, or has anyone, maybe in school or at church or other activities, has anyone tried to show you pictures of naked people? No. Why would they do that? And he said, and he said I had to say, son, I, I'm sad to say that they will want to do that. Jeremiah, have you thought about what you would do if they did that? Well, let me suggest that you get away and tell the nearest adult and then tell us because those are the things that are a big threat to your own personal health and also to that bonding that you will want to take place like mom and I enjoy. Um, so that is an example of how trying to determine age appropriateness, and coming up with your own language. But making some connections, if they should hear some of those terms, even though you would prefer they didn't. Um, now, a third component that has a lot to do with, with some new approaches that we have tried to use in these last two years of our relationship, Ed, is acknowledging and using the emotion piece. Now, how many years, how many times since we have first become to faith in Christ have we heard that you have to, you have emotions only come after you have embraced truth? How many, you know, we know that. I mean, we, are, we know how we feel, but it's more important to know what we think and if what we're thinking is true, right? Okay, all right. So, the first year that we did Relationship Ed, it was, you know, an information dump. We backed up the truck with the five or ten principles and gave them the handouts and maybe threw in a few cute stories and gave them a test. And But so often, now, you have to use the emotional piece first, the hook, and then you give the principles, and then if you can end with an emotional piece, then you can wrap it in the world that they're in. And in just a minute, I'll talk about some of the reasons for that. <clears throat> and um, when we acknowledge the emotion piece, it does not replace. It certainly doesn't undermine the importance of the content, but it can facilitate the to be more effective in the content communication. And you know, you know this from even from the earliest age when your children are watching videos, cartoons, or you're reading books. You want to use those things to engage in dialogue about what they felt, what they saw, and what might we learn from that. What do we see in that that encourages the things that we know to true are true? And why are the reasons that sometimes the things that we see make us doubt that what is true is true? And um, the chief way that I have been able to do this this last couple of years with the junior and senior girls um, is with the movie Pride and Prejudice. 
Um, we do have content days. Um, I mostly use outside um, other teachers, maybe some from the other grades, um, to do most of the um, content teaching because I think they need younger um, people who can identify with where they are and speak to that. So to kind of change things up, we, over the course of about seven days, um, we watched the Pride and Prejudice that's with Kira Knightley. Now, um, when, we have, when we have done that, and, and you know, I've watched lots of movies. Um, some of them, the, the really faith-based ones, and I know in lower grades, um, they, they watch Fireproof and some of those others. <clears throat> but I chose Pride and Prejudice for several reasons. Before I decided on the Kira Knightley one, I watched the one with Colin Firth. <laughs> now, which one do you think would be most effective with the high school girls? Knightley. The Kira Knightley one. Um, and um, even though the lines in both Pride and Prejudices are almost exactly the same, the way that it is portrayed in Kira Knightley has a much larger emotional component and connection. But I chose that movie because I don't feel as if it's over the top. And also, the um, Matthew, and I won't say his name right, uh, Matthew McFadden is not that cute. He just isn't. Until the end. You know, and it's not just that they change his wardrobe up a little, a little bit. But as the girls are watching this, it's so interesting that as they watch it, at first they're kind of bored and they're a little confused, and then it's kind of like, well, this is better than listening to Miss Todd, you know. But it's okay because I know what's coming. And over time, you know, and, you know, at first they're really enthralled with Mr. Wickham because he is so much cuter. And, um, but as they are watching, they are becoming, they're getting drawn in. And now, excuse me for those that haven't either read the story. Shame on you. That is such a good book. Um, or haven't watched the movie. You come to the point where Mr. Darcy, who is convinced that he is madly in love with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, who has found out that he caused um, Mr. What's his name? To break up with her sister and Bingley. Bingley and is the reason that Mr. Wickham is poor. She has all kinds of wrong information. So in the scene, when they have it out. Now, in the Colin Firth version, <laughs> but in the Kira Knightley one, when I sit in the back of the class, that's the best place to learn things. When I sit in the back of the class and those two are having it out, and first they start across from the room, and then they start getting closer and closer, and when they are at the last point at which they are, where Elizabeth is yelling at each other, my girls who've been sitting back in their desk, and then they lean forward, and by the time those two are side by side, they're like this because they want him to kiss her. And they want to kiss, but she has just accused him of ruining her sister's life and of being basically a thief and a jerk. And, and 
Mr. Darcy refrains from what he knows that he could do to manipulate Elizabeth because he is showing greater love, overcoming the lust of the moment. And so then you say, so then I, I've asked the girls, so let's rewrite the story. He does kiss her. Where do you think they go from there? Oh, they would have to get engaged because those two, you talked about the energy between them. And why would that be a problem? Because they would be building on a foundation of lack of trust and of passion that is not rooted in respect. And then when you say, what does that have to do with our hookup culture? Does it? Would that just be a hookup? And for my logical, rational, thinking girls, of whom there are fewer, they're like, yeah, I know, I'm going to die. Oh, but it's like, oh. And my emotional ones are, yeah, well, they could work that out later. <laughs> but the phrase, when the kissing starts, the talking stops, might be a principle to draw from that. So that's just an example of using the emotion to teach the principle. And we do go ahead and watch it to the end. And the, the time that the kiss does come is when, for those of you who have watched it and read it? After the wedding. After the marriage. They are Mr. and Mrs. Darcy. Okay? And, and I will say, it's only fair, I will say that I do ask, at the, the very last question, uh, we do um, reaction response papers. The, the very last question is, okay, where is this realistic and where is this unrealistic? And that is very helpful. Um, and um, every class is different. So the idea of leading with emotion is you want to validate it, but you don't want to stop there. And then you want to inform your emotions. And you can do it with biblical truth that they extract from it, not top-down, here's what you need to know, stupid parts of the movie. So that, that's just an example. Um, B on your paper says utilize other teachers, speakers, and stories and experience of others to foster communication on these topics. I know that you know that our youth group is a marvelous place for that. And you know, um, the students from our church that are in my classes, I look at my roster for, you know, the junior and senior girls, and I go, yes, when I know that I have a covenant child in there, because they will be my go-to people. When, when the crazy answers come in, and I welcome them, and then we throw it out and say, well, what do you think of that? You know, the covenant kids are your go-to people. Because they get emotion, but they also get the way that truth informs emotion. And, um, and with Jeff and with Laura and with the plethora of volunteers, some of you are parents, some are um, young adults, that is a resource. I think about when Sarah was in high school, from when she was in middle school to high school, we talked a lot about Elizabeth Elliot. We talked about passion and purity. I took her over to St. Pete to meet Elizabeth Elliot, to hear her. 
But it wasn't until she was in Christy and I think Trisha and Sarah Ned in Judy Rice's Bible study with Passion and Purity. She was a junior in high school and she came home and she said, Mom, you won't believe what they taught us tonight. Right. <laughs> you know, part your ego. Um, talking a little bit about choosing relationship resources, um, even though we, I, I think you would be very wise as your children get older to share what resources seem to work well for you. And it really is a personal thing. Um, but remember that how you use them, I mean, it's got to be good, but how you use them is as important as what you choose. Now, fortunately, this was not true for many of you, but it was true for some of us. You don't find the book that you think articulates best what you want to teach them, and you say, read this book and let me know if you have any questions. Because that is a method that was used. No, it's, it's, um, um, ongo it is to stimulate ongoing conversation. And you, can, you want to select resources that are faith-based from a reform perspective, and they, sh they should include current cultural information. Um, I know that CCEF has any number of resources. And Jeff or Laura or some others can help you with that. And oftentimes it's better if you're out ahead of what your children need to know so that you can be watching for um, when you need to know that. And I did mention Stan and Brenda Jones' book. Um, I heard about this a number of years ago and when Sarah and James... Our son and daughter-in-law were in um, St. Louis. They were in a church that Brian Chapel of Covenant Seminary, um, uh, where he worshipped. And he said that at that point, that was what he had found to be a very good resource. Now, it's very blunt. It is. They have the companion books for children that you can start even as early as, I believe, three to five years old. Um, and it's the type of thing that you can look at these and decide whether you think those are something that you can use or not. One parent of a fifth grader said that uh, she got the book for her fifth grader, but she tore a couple pages out because that was just farther than she wanted to go. And he looked at his mom and he said, okay, mom, you tore those pages out, but next year when sis is this age, are you going to put them back in? Because that's not fair. Sorry, <laughs> Now, a couple of additional observations from our classes. Um, we want to constantly encourage our children, our young people, to continue to clarify their own personal goals. Very obviously for us and for our students who are Christians, the goal is not a physiological condition. The goal is holiness and wise choices. And that always in the light of Scripture. But as Mike pointed out, you know, our, our student base is much broader. And so in every class, we do appeal to those who either are having their questions about their Christian faith, or frankly, some of them are honest enough to say, I'm not there. And so our encouragement to them is to make healthy and safe decisions. Now, part of what really surprised me when I first got back involved in school on this level was 
my, I did not become a Christian until I was 20. And before then, I was an atheist. And Nietzsche and Camus and Sartre were my go-to people. But I have to say that we atheists were often wiser about our relationships out of prudence and out of, of practicality and even pride than many of our young people are that are Christians. And so, so you cannot just assume that if your child is a Christian that they're going to be drawn to those wise choices. And we know part of why that is is because of the media. You know, I could get from, now I'm going to look to my, my uh, peers here. In the old days of where the boys are, <laughs> I came away from that movie saying, you better be really careful where you go and what you do. But the movies that our students are seeing today and your children are seeing today are, doesn't matter. Go with what you want. So part of it is we had some help from the culture. But um, so those, those are what you want to um, continue. And, and I really look forward to the Crutchco's um, session about social media because part of it is what they are, what is just constantly bombarding them, even from their peers. Um, some glimpses to celebrate, some things that, that really get us excited is um, that we see siblings and other students instructing one another in caring fashion. I know in our own home, um, one of the most effective voices in Matt's life was his sister. She could say the things that we wanted to say or that we had been saying, and he could respect that and hear that. Um, and just this last spring um, was an example of where I felt as if what we have been striving for among our student body. Because you see, in, in the classes that we teach, we bring in speakers, we uh, bring in um, some of the men, uh, the, top, the title of the guy's class is Biblical Manhood. And the topic for the girls' classes is Biblical Womanhood. And the, men t the male teachers have decided that they also need to bring in men from the community to talk about, you need to be intentional now about what you want to be in the future. We brought in um, a guy who um, was trained with special forces at, which academy, Mike? West Point. And he brought in the video portraying how he had been trained. And he said, you have to prepare for success. Because the only people that made it through that were the ones who had prepared. And spiritually, you're heading off to college, you have to prepare for how you're going to respond when you face those things. Um, well, anyway, so this spring, one of our students, a senior girl, um, in chapel, usually we have praise worship and then we have a speaker. And in chapel, she just asked if she could sing a song and play her guitar. And that doesn't happen very often. Actually, it happens very seldom. And so they let her. She had written a song, and it was called Tiffany Window Panes. And honestly, it was a wonderful summary of what we had been trying to teach in relationship ed, about caring for yourself well 
and caring for other people. And you can be on two extremes. You can be the older brother, the older prodigal brother, or you can be the younger prodigal brother. You can be the one who has blown it and live in shame, or you can be the self-righteous brother who looks down on those who have made mistakes. And um, it is a very poignant story of a girl who, who had made poor choices, shamed herself, and was hiding behind window panes and wanting to commit suicide. And the hope of the gospel came in, and Jesus took not just her guilt, but her shame. And now she can walk down the street, whether or not any of her self-righteous friends could forgive her or recognize her. <coughs> she sang that song, and when she finished, something happened in chapel that I think has only happened one other time this year. From her peers, she got a standing ovation. Now, that is from her peers who disagree with, some of her peers who disagree with her position, that, that repentance and faith is the only way to handle things. And they gave her a standing ovation. So what did she do? She made them feel they heard it. She had a refrain in there that was very easy to pick up. And then she instructed them. And the whole time then, they felt the joy and relief. And I, I wrote her a note and I said, there is nothing more that can be more effective than if one of the students is the one who draws the other students into truth that can set free. So that was, that was just an, an incredible opportunity to um, appreciate um, what has been done. And then, lastly, our current college students have helped for perspe helpful perspectives to share. You know, we talked about the senior seminar. I mean, I think about um, uh, Lauren Wazalewski came in a couple of years ago to share with the rising seniors what she had learned. Actually, it was three years ago. It was after her freshman year. What she had learned about how to handle loneliness. Macy Valenti came in and shared about, whoa, this place is so big. How do you still walk in faith and yet still, you know, um, engage the culture there? Um, and Seneca Roberts came over from USF and shared with the students about what she had learned about what campus ministries can offer, but how you've got to be intentional. You can't just, you can't just be a dabbler. You've got to get in, and you have to commit. And that can be scary, but it was all worth it. So um, those are examples of the things that we have learned that um, might be helpful. Now, Mike, did you have something that you wanted to... Um, about <laughs> what is B? Oh, did I miss B? Oh, thank you. Okay, well, I'm glad you. I'm glad I, I missed that because uh, B, same-sex attraction and homosexual and homophobic behavior are crucial topics to discuss. Um, and we were, of course, very blessed to have Rosaria Butterfield here at um, Covenant. And then on Monday night, most of you know she went over to USF. Some of you were there. And you heard her speak before the students at USF. While standing in front of her were about eight from the LGBTQ community holding up. No, actually their T-shirts were painted. 
who were glaring the whole time while she spoke. I thought it was interesting. I don't know if some of you that were there noticed this. But she can be really funny. And there were a couple times that they were really struggling not to smile <laughs> when she was funny. And honestly, I, of course I love her speech. I could probably give it because I've heard it so many times. Um, I loved the question and answer time. I loved how she did not shy away from, most of the questions were from um, belligerent uh, proponents of LGBTQQ. I loved how lovingly she answered them and invited them for coffee the next day, and she spent four straight hours at the coffee shop talking with those folks. And it was very civil, and it was very encouraging. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that this is at last because... <clears throat> When Steve talked about several weeks ago um, Andre So Peterson's um, editorial about college students are required to do a number of things on college campuses if they take human sexuality courses to engage with, um, to try and change their thinking about LGBTQ thinking. And you know, if I'm honest with you, I would say that I would hope that we might prepare our children and our students to participate in some of these. Because until or unless they can fully hear and consider the arguments, are they prepared with the biblical defense? And I think Rosario has talked about that. However, I don't know if you remembered or if anybody else Googled this. The night that Rosario was here, someone asked, well, how do we do that without ourselves becoming drawn in to either personally, maybe we struggle with same-sex attraction and that's just like the open ticket for going into it. How do we do that without it um, compromising us? And she, she encouraged us to... Google her article, Engaging Gay Activists on Campus, a primer, or primer, whatever it's called, by Rosario Butterfield, and it was May 13, 2013. In this article, she gives very specific warnings and counseling for how you do it and how you assess whether this is wise or whether it's time to back out. This is a very valuable piece of information if you have high schoolers. Because just as I could never work at Krispy Kreme, I could work at the law, because I wouldn't spend all my money on clothes, but I could never work at Krispy Kreme. And somebody else, it would be the opposite. And that's kind of the idea behind this. Some students can become more involved, but they need to have at least the basic understandings of what the issues are. Okay, here, just a minute. Oh, I'm sorry. It's um, Engaging Gay Activists on Campus, a Primer by Rosario Butterfield. Okay, Mike. Just to, just to show you the, the progression, this is really not very substantive, but it's kind of interesting. Before Mary um, went with Pride and Prejudice, what did you oh, go yeah. first? Oh, 
Band of Brothers. Band of Brothers. <laughs> well, I wanted them to understand how guys think. It didn't work. No, actually, actually, there were 25% of the girls who got it. And the next year when I showed Pride and Prejudice, they said, are you going to give us equal time? We want another. I actually showed them the best stone and breaking point one. Uh, and we did have a profanity filter, I will tell you that. Um, and some of the girls said, aren't you going to bring back Band of Brothers? Sorry. Seven, I have to go with the 75%. So the, the goal is not efficiency. Uh, it's effectiveness. And those of us, maybe particularly on the <coughs> side of the equation, who are just prone to try to fix stuff, like to try to do it in a real efficient way. And I think one of the things we've discovered is that the goal is always to start conversations, not end them, and uh, to continue and to, uh, and that's very hard sometimes when you know the bottom line and you want to rush and you want to get there and you want to tell them, and I've learned all this stuff now and I'm going to save you all this trouble. But sometimes people get down the road on material things about, I had it tough as a kid, and now I'm going to give my child all the toys I didn't get to have when I was a kid, you know, and so they're going to have it better than I had it. You know, in the spiritual dimension, sometimes we can say, uh, you know, I've been walking with the Lord now all this time, and I've got all this stuff figured out, and I'm just going to dump this information on them, and I'm going to save 25 years of time, and they're going to get all this, and they're just going to be way ahead of the game. It doesn't work that way. There's a certain time piece in there that you can't, uh, sometimes you can't rush. You can try to accelerate it a little bit, but the, the goal for those of us who try to be efficient in everything we do and try to get it done in a hurry and try to get, get on to the next thing, uh, I think the, the thing that's hard sometimes is slowing down and realizing the, the role of the emotional piece and... Uh, and having to cultivate those conversations, you know, takes a lot of time. And um, if we've structured our lives to the point where we're so busy that we don't have much time, then we tend to try to rush everything. And so some of it, um, the, the myth that the older we get, the, our children need less of our time can really deceive ourselves a little bit with that and, and uh, so that part of the part of the deal here is the willingness to continue the conversation and one of the things is just hard it's just hard to imagine for people uh, my age maybe some of you a little younger there's a whole viewpoint of sexuality and sexual experience is so radically different we were talking to somebody that's probably 10 or 15 years younger than we are uh, in the last week, and they were saying, well, when we were at college age, <clears throat> the issue was if you had a meaningful relationship, which means you've been going out maybe three weeks, you know, then it was understandable that you'd go ahead and have sex. And, um, but it was in the context of a meaningful relationship. And what our students tell us, uh, you know, Mary met with some of them, uh, three different state universities uh, about a month ago, and they were just describing um, just the random recreational sexual behavior of their peers, of being at a um, social gathering and just 
um, randomly making out with one person and another person and another person and another person, whoever you were with last, you you know, had sex with and spent the night with or whatever. And it's just kind of this um, random impersonal behavior. Um, and so it was, it was uh, even less personal than playing racquetball. Because you usually know the names of the people you're playing racquetball with. <laughs> you know, um, and that, that level of uh, reducing something so sacred and special to such a commonplace experience leaves a trail of wounded and battered people uh, all over the place who have pursued what they thought was freedom only to find bondage. And so part of our drive is to try to be on the preventative side of that um, rather than on the mop-up side. And I think that um, it's hard to imagine sometimes for some of us that are older, it's really hard to grasp what our children are facing and to, um, and to really believe that that's real. Uh, that's, that's part of what we have to overcome. But it's, it's uh, um, and this class was not intended to end conversations, but to start them. So let's pray and be done. Father, we thank you for your great grace and kindness. We thank you for your word that uh, teaches us a truth and teaches us your design for relationship and for loving each other well and for uh, caring for each other uh, and help us to care for our children and our young people well in this particularly sensitive area of life and we pray that you would help us to be uh, patient but to be diligent and intentional and that you would uh, use our efforts to preserve and protect uh, our children and our young people to uh, provide for them relationships according to your design. And we pray for your blessing on the preached word and the worship, all of the communion service at 